What's up, Painted Profits podcast listeners? I'm Darius Bell, executive producer of the pod. Today's episode is a sit down with Samson and corporate veteran turned entrepreneur, Mike Collins of Clean Eats. Mike is an expert in leadership and marketing and has taken an unconventional route to entrepreneurial success. So open your favorite note-taking app, grab a piece of paper and a pen, and enjoy today's podcast. Hey, what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Pain to Profits. I'm your host, Samson Jagoris, and every single week, we are unpacking the wisdom, knowledge, and experience of entrepreneurs to help you guys save time and level up. And today, I'm sitting here with Mike Collins with Clean Eats. He's got an incredible story about 30 years in corporate America, seven different gigs, and now he is a franchise owner, a small business owner, getting after it in the trenches every single day. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. So, let's go back. 30 years, corporate America. Yes, seven gigs, seven different industries. I'd love to hear that story and then parlay that into how that's helped you into your your journey into entrepreneurship. Yeah, for sure. So like everybody else coming out of high school, going to college, went uh, decided I wanted to be a chemical engineer, believe it or not. <clears throat> awesome. um, wasn't smart enough, but that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> hey, I wanted to be a doctor and I wasn't smart enough. It didn't so work. Yeah. Well, I finished. So I actually punched through it because I'm just stubborn that way. Uh Probably a year into my first first gig, realized, man, these engineers are smart and they're really detail oriented, and that ain't me. <laughs> and so, uh, went ahead and started, you know, corporate America gigs. Started in research and development, and kind of progressed from there. Uh, after about uh, probably seven years, eight years, decided it's like, hey, I need to go do something else. I really enjoy business. I enjoy management, leadership, that type of stuff. Yeah. Went back to school, got an MBA. Um, at the University of Delaware, which was awesome because I had previously tried to maybe take a look at uh, entrepreneurship in my mid twenties, and I was like, "Hey, this is cool." But then as I got into it, I was really like, "Man, I don't know anything about business. I got to go get some foundation <laughs> to get started." Yeah. Um, especially as I sat in front of a joint venture group who was trying to give me money, and oh, I was wow. like, "Uh, I'm not sure talk about it. yeah, I'm not sweat equity and all this stuff." I'm like, "What? What's this?" What? I was like, "Oh, no, I'm a smart guy. I know this product, but I don't know anything else." Yeah. And so I uh, went back and uh, got my MBA and um, sort of I took a career path of where I, I learned I found more va- value for myself um, in the market outside the company I was working for. So, you know, I kind of right. my parents kind of grew up in that, uh, you know, that era where you went to work for a company for 30 or 40 years and you just kind of progressed through that company. And what yeah. I found is people outside would pay me a lot more than the people inside. And so I took that career path of, of jumping companies, jumping industries and found for me that what I liked in business management, leadership and those types of things, um, it, jumping industries really kind of helped me become a little bit of a jack of all trades and a master of absolutely nothing. Right. But it really served me well because those leadership traits that I learned, the skills that I learned on how to maneuver around operations and supply chain and R&D and engineering and all those types of things applied directly to the new companies I was going to work for. And so I sort of brought in this skill set into these companies and and probably 10 years into my career sort of developed, I guess, a reputation of sort of Mr. Fix-It. So the new companies I went to work for would come in and say, hey, we've got this either this factory or, or this business unit that's upside down, right? Profitability is all messed up. Come in and, and take a, take a look and tell us what you can do. And so that's sort of what I developed a career. So I've started in like ready to assemble furniture manufacturing, which is that stuff you put together from Kmart and Walmart yeah. type yep. of stuff. Uh, made postage, pill and stick postage stamps for United States Postal Service. Then I went into aerospace and made adhesives and composites for everything from fighter jets to commercial planes and then semiconductor industry, then jumped uh, to paint manufacturing. So made John Deere green and Caterpillar yellow and uh, for the the paint company I worked for, ran operations for them. And then um, what else have I done? Worked for Ford Motor Company for a while, jumped, uh, came out here to Colorado, went to agriculture, was super excited about agriculture. Could took me back to my Midwest roots. Yep. Uh, or just people are just core good people and really, really enjoyed that. So that was, that was my last gig. So, um, like I said, seven different companies, seven different industries, engineering, R and D operations, supply chain, safety, risk. I've done lots and lots of different things in all those companies. Wow. <laughs> Talk about a, a pragmatic, uh, MBA and, entrepreneurship right there. 
you get all the little pieces of the eight core concepts of business basically. Yeah. Get applied. Yeah. But <clears throat> a lot to unpack there. Specifically, I want to go back to the time when you said you were presented with an opportunity to go into entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. but felt like you weren't ready. So then you decided to go get an MBA. What yeah. was that? What did that look like? Yeah. So uh, at that time, I was working for that uh, ready to assemble furniture company, private right. company. Um, same thing. It was family owned. Uh, I was in Ohio. They kind of came up with the technology at the time, sort of the state of the art technology at the time on how to do that. And as I worked for them, I learned there was a gap in the market, right? Is they had created the product and it was a high end product, but they were selling into low end markets. So like, you know, you and I want a shelf in the garage to hold our paint. Well, they were selling a premium product into that, right? And so, but they're selling it, you know, 25 bucks for a shelf. So they had no margin in it, right? Right. So um, I had just left that company, transitioned, got married. My wife couldn't find work in Northwest Ohio. So we had to move a little further south in Ohio. And I thought, man, here's an opportunity. I know all the players. I know the market. I can actually contract to have them make, make it for me, but I'll just be the middleman and sell into that market contacts in Japan and everything else from, from the time I worked there. And so dove into it, um, not knowing anything other than how to make the product and the things I needed. And so started uh, asking questions around to people, didn't have any money, right? I'm in my mid-20s. Right. And so got hooked up with a venture capital group out of the University of Dayton, Ohio, and sat in front of, you know, where they'd meet once a month, a bunch of old guys and executives, right, with all kinds of money. Right. And, um presented my idea to them and they started saying, well, asking me all kinds of questions and my eyes glazed over. I was like, <laughs> holy cow, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I'm sort of that proverbial engineer, got a great idea, right. but don't have any idea how to develop it and go to market. And so probably did that, um, pursued it probably three to four months and just realized, man, I'm way over my head. Like I need to go back and get some foundation, which is kind of was the impetus. Uh, once, uh, I was at, working for a private equity company at that time, making postage stamps, which was an interesting <laughs> learning experience anyway, right? You know, this private equity comes in, takes companies that are upside down, right. rips them apart, puts them back together and sells them, upsells them, right? right. And so that was a, a violent learning curve for a couple of years there. But uh, took that and then we moved to the East Coast. And, and at that time, I went to work for the aerospace company. And, and I was like, okay, I, I need to go get a, a background in something. And yeah. so that's, uh, that's when I went back and decided to get the MBA knew that that was, you know, education. It wasn't going to be real world and real life experience, but it's like, let me at least understand what debits and credits and right. P and L's and those types of things are. Right. So that's yeah. kind of what I did there. I'm going to unpack it, unpack it for the audience. If you're listening to this, less than 9% of entrepreneurs actually have MBAs. So that's not a prerequisite for entrepreneurship. It is helpful in understanding the terminology and how it works. And in some cases, for some people, it's definitely valuable. You can always parlay an MBA into a career as an executive. (laughs) That's why I did it, right, to be honest with you, because not only did I want it for my own entrepreneurship, but I realized as I surveyed the markets, like, you know, chemical engineering degree with also an MBA. Hey, if I don't do my own thing, super valuable in corporate America. 100%. Um, But going back to that moment in time, if you could have done it differently, what would you have maybe done differently? It sounds like you, you see this a lot, right? Engineer mind, very analytical, uh, or you see it in maybe the contracting space. Like my dad, my dad's a carpenter. He's the artisan, right? Yeah. Sales is not his game, <laughs> right? Understood. Right. He, he's like railroad track thinking like, okay, job's done. Oh crap. What am I going to do next? You know what I mean? So would you have maybe gone and found a partner and somebody that you could partner up with who was good at the sales side, maybe had a little more business acumen and then you could be the engineer. Or do you think that that was the right move to just go and do something different? Yeah. I think, you know, now that I'm a little bit older and, and have a little more breadth in, in the view of the world, I probably would have, I, yeah, I would have went and found somebody with more experience. That's what I was trying to do when I was talking to the, you know, the venture capital group and kind of getting into that. Right. But really my challenge with, with the whole thing was, I just wasn't comfortable. Like to your, to your point, I was an engineer. I, I knew a problem. Yeah. I saw the problem. I knew how to solve it, but I didn't understand anything else. And so for me, I also learned it's like, Ooh, man, because I'm an engineer and I think <laughs> like an engineer, right. I was a little risk averse. Right. right. So I was sitting there on the edge like, okay, this is 
this is pretty out there, right? And so, like, <laughs> I don't have anything. Engineers, you know, we got to cross the T's, dot the I's. Like, Absolutely. people can die in certain situations with engineering, like whether it's a building or it's aerospace or it's chemical. I mean, there's a big decisions and stuff can go sideways. Entrepreneurship, we do not get that luxury, right? It's basically yeah. build the plane on the way down. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. You get kicked in the face and realize that that didn't work and you just kind of keep going. But as you go, you, you develop these skills or, or a playbook that you know you can go implement so you can reduce the number of times you get kicked in the head and go a little bit smoother. Absolutely. Well, and for me, when I did my MBA, I went and did an executive MBA. So everybody you know, there had at least a minimum of seven years work experience. Perfect. And so my second venture into entrepreneurship was actually towards the end of my MBA when I was working for the semiconductor industry. Found a gap in the market again, a problem yep. myself and a guy I worked with. So to your point partner this time, right? Because he had the contacts, I had the problem solution, but what I had learned from school, and to your point, you don't have to learn it from school, but I learned it's like, got to have a good accountant, Yep, need to have a lawyer, Yep, right? These things that there is no way I was going to ever bring that expertise to the market myself, right? Or to the business. And so it's like, okay, now not only do I need partnerships for, to your point, sales or whatever my gaps were, but I needed expertise to bring into the business. And so he and I went together started a business that we saw the gap in the market. It wasn't anything I had passion about, right? So yeah. I know we'll get into this later, but as we started it up, it was it was a great gap. Essentially, we were a middleman, right, between a huge Southeast Asia supply chain and a demand in the United States. It was awesome, right? Like like brokers? Effectively? Yeah, is this exactly. We were broker, believe it or not, we were brokering 12-inch silicon wafers to a market <laughs> that was just going to build microchips, right? Okay. Because literally when I went, went to work for semiconductor industry, the semiconductor industry, which is kind of funny in today's news, was right. all based in the United States. I was actually part of the group that moved it all to Southeast Asia for the oh, labor stuff. No, yeah, no, absolutely, right? That's why when it's I— coming full circle, though. Yeah, it's full circle, right? That's why I see the politicians on TV say, well, we'll just move it back to the States. I'm like, no, you won't yeah. because you don't understand how many years and how complex it was to move it over there. Right. It ain't coming back like that, guys. Trust me. Um, but the point being is identified those gaps and I realized to your exact point, I needed partners. I needed expertise. And at that point I had started to mature and getting a little bit better business breath myself. Yep. And it's like, okay, now how do I go get people to help me? I love that. A couple of things to just unpack there is always looking for that opportunity to fill a gap in the market. I mean, one of the beautiful things about like brokering in a business like that is it's relatively low on capital and really high on just who you know and a hustle. You know what I mean? It is a hundred percent hustle. Actually, my, the guy I partnered with Jamie, we actually, our inventory warehouse was his living room. <laughs> Again, same, same as I think I'd, I think we just had kids, um, but he didn't, it was just him and his wife. And so they had a house. And so we literally, to your point, it was a hustle, put him in his living room, take him to the foundries in the U S it's like, That's there you go. We're good because it was a gap where, all the big foundries were all connected, but it was these little guys, right? right? That didn't couldn't afford to buy quantities of thousands, right? They just needed a few hundreds. Like, hey, we can help you. Yeah, you aggregate all the little guys, and you're buying in the thousands, and exactly, that's amazing. So, how long did that business run for? Jamie actually just discontinued it about two years ago. Oh, so wow. he, yeah, so he bought me out uh, of the piece that I had invested in it about probably eighteen months in, because, like I said, I just didn't have passion for it. Um, but yeah, he ran it. And, did about probably 400,000 of the bottom line and just literally was a middleman for 15 years. Oh, wow. Good gig. That's sweet. So did you approach him on that buyout or did he approach you or was it a mutual decision? No, I approached him. Yeah. I just was like, Hey man, this is cool. You got all the contacts. We've solved the problem. So I was like, I'm not interested anymore. There's right. no problem to solve, yeah. right? Typical and it's engineer. Just, yeah, typical engineer. <laughs> and it's like, I literally have no passion for this whatsoever. It didn't set any fit any of my, you know, personal objectives. I was like, you know, th- there's just no reason, no reason for both of us to split the problems. Like, you go do it. Yeah. I'm going to keep the corporate gig. And and plus my wife and I at the time were Midwest people. We wanted to, we had our kids. We wanted to move back to the Midwest. I was like, all right, I'm out of here. Let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about yeah. passion. Um because I feel like that term is very much so misappropriated. Like there's passion is something that, that you love doing, I think personally, but you're not always going to love the work you're doing all the time. But I think you definitely need to have like a passion or a purpose for why you do what you do. What was, what was it that was, I guess, unattractive about that business after a while? 
was it solving the problem? Is it was was it it didn't fuel your creative juices? Like what what does yeah. that look like? What does that mean? Yeah, f- for me it was problem solving. It, it was that simple. You know, I'm not that smart, not that complex, right? It mm-hmm. is. I like I said, I built a career on sol- pro- solving problems. That's why people began to hire me. It's like right. hey, this guy sees things differently. I'm not a creative person, right? I have tried a million times <laughs> to start a business, right? Or think of ideas laying in bed at night, like man. You know, what is it that everybody wants out there that they don't have? I'm not that guy. <laughs> I am the guy, as I learned over my career, I'll look at things and I can do what a lot of people can't because yeah. they just don't see it. I can refine something to the nth degree, get the last itty-bitty amount of productivity out of it, make it more efficient, whatever. Those that. types of things. I learned that's who I was, which I had to give away at that time. Like I said, always had that entrepreneur piece in me, but I realized I'm never going to be the guy who invents the Ginsu knives and sells them on TV. That just <laughs> isn't me, right? Yeah. I will figure out how to manufacture that Ginsu knife more effectively than anybody in the world, yep. but I am not going to create it. In my world, I would I would define that as more of like the integrator type of personality, right? So you got visionary, yeah. which are like all gas, big ideas, can see stuff, but generally they can really suck at like bringing it down to the ground and going and executing, <laughs> they can. right? They can. Um, and when you don't get it, they think you're stupid because you don't understand their idea or whatever. <laughs> absolutely, you know? absolutely. And every visionary needs a good integrator. They need somebody who can actually execute the day to day, making sure all the everything kind of is orchestrated together between sales, marketing, product, service, operations, so on and so forth. So that is a special gift and probably one that drew you towards what you're doing now, which is a franchise business model where a lot of those startup hiccups are kind of worked out and yeah. then you get to go to work on being the optimizer. Exactly. Exactly. It is a hundred percent of what attracted me to, to the clean eats model. Uh, a number of other things, but that yeah. that is one for me because with my background and my experience, I looked at this and said, I can do this. I mean, it's supply chain, it's operations, right? It's a meal prep, meal prep, meal plan company, right? It's not it's not your standard restaurant. I have to create recipes, do that type of thing. Right. Right? That foundation, to your point, is all there. Now it's like, oh, I get this. I've done this a hundred times. The widget changes, but I've done this a hundred times. Yeah, that's awesome. And so let's talk about that because one of the problems that I see with franchise buying is there's not a lot of thought put into it and and maybe not even a lot of uh, discovery in and around the financials and how the business is structured and how they're scaling and how long, what's their scaling plan and how many units they have and what the marketing plan is and all that. And being an engineer, you spent a lot of time looking at a lot of franchises and ultimately settled on clean eats. Yeah. So can we walk through that journey, maybe impart some wisdom on the audience on um, what they should be thinking about when they're going to look to buy a franchise? Yeah, for, for sure. So the my last company I was with went through a merger. Um, by contract, I needed to stay two years. I fulfilled that that obligation and then decided, it's like, all right, with the change in the culture and the way things had changed per, post-merger, I was like, this is not where I want to be anymore. Right. Um, we're living here. I had a kid that just started, my son, oldest, just started college. My daughter just started high school. It's like, okay, we're not moving. Right. And, and at this point I'd had a conversation with my wife. I was like, you know, 30 years I've been wanting to go do something on myself right now. You know, now it's, now's the time if I'm going to do it because I'm headed into the last chapter of my career. And, yeah. and if I don't do it now, I, I don't ever do it. And so to your point, um, super blessed to have the financial ability to look at a lot of different things. And so started evaluating businesses. Didn't start with franchises actually, because I was like, wow, why do I want to give a franchise fee away? Why do I want to give, right. you know, 5, 10, 15% off the top? Uh, started looking at a bunch of different businesses and through that process started, uh, uh, honestly, a pretty in-depth self-reflection, right? What What's important to me, right, at this point? It, it wasn't about, you know, what am I going to do to get to retirement and all that stuff is like, what what's important to me? Yeah. And so really started kind of diving into those is kind of what I started with. Like, I really wanted a need in the community and the market. I wanted something that was beneficial to people, right? One of the things that I reflected back from my corporate career that I loved the most after all 30 years was actually helping my people that worked for me and my group achieve things, right? Whether it's personal or professional, go to things that they had never been able to do, right? Be right. able to give my wisdom to them so they can get a promotion or yeah. education or whatever. And so when I started looking at businesses, I realized, hey, that's kind of what I want to look at. Businesses that aren't commodity businesses that are beneficial to people's lives, whatever 
life stage or whatever they have going on. And so as I started, to your point, digging into businesses, I looked at I got kind of got into this thing. It's like, hey, I've never done this thing before. I'm 50 <laughs> years old. Maybe I want to get into a franchise where, hey, at the end of the day, I can phone a friend real quick. It's like, hey, uh, I don't know how this is working. Can you help me? Yeah. And so I started looking into franchises. And to your point, uh, did a pretty deep dive. As a matter of fact, the uh, franchise broker for Clean Eats used to make fun of me all the time. Jason's <laughs> like, dude, nobody asks these questions. Right. And I'm just like, well, you know what? It's important, right? I like, I want to know, you know, what the average sales price is. I want to know, you know, what the what the margins are. What's the productivity level? Those types of questions. To your point, that I'll say the average person didn't dive in because for me. Once I met my passionate goals, right, and again, for, for Clean Eats, healthy meal plan, meal prep business, right? So it's everything for the people that are really into eating healthy, but also, you know, the families who are just need, you know, hey, want a healthy option because it's chaotic. They've got kids that are running between sports. Yeah. Like, so I hit those passionate pieces. But for me on the backside, you know, I was like, hey, I want it to be profitable too, right? I mean, yeah. I'm not going to just walk away from this, this great corporate for, income. Yeah. This is capitalism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right? And so in evaluating a lot of those franchises and the piece that I would tell folks that are interested in that, really dive into them because I lo- as I looked into a lot of them, there was a lot of them that was like, okay, that's great. It's going to generate sixty to $70,000 net a year. And I actually had got it, found a, a nice lady out of Denver who helped me. She's like, don't get into this and buy a job. Yes. Right, right. Don't. That's don't. why we, we don't go into entrepreneurship to build a job for ourselves. No. And, and so, and I didn't understand what that meant when at first, but then as I started evaluating, I was like, I don't want to work. 80 hours a week, right? Yeah, $60,000 means that you have to be the operator. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And so as I started looking into them, I looked at things where I was comfortable with my skill set. So like I said, I operations, supply chain, all these things. Like, okay, I get this. The widget is different, but I can do it. I was right. comfortable in my skill set. But then I also, from the business side, said, okay, what's the upside, right? Compu- community need, community benefit, which checked my boxes and then started to look at the upside, you know, Hey, how does this, how's this work? What, what community do I live in? What need am I serving? And then how do I ultimately make that fit? I got to unpack that for the audience, but that's what passion is, right? To me, it's, it's like, no matter what I'm doing, I'm always serving people and helping people. So if I can do a job or a business that allows me to do that, then I'm super attracted to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're, you're definitely identified that you have this more a business to consumer type of business would make sense for you to go approach it. And then number two was take an inventory on your skill set. What am I good at? What am I weak at? Hey, I'm how old am I? Right. You, how old are you? 53 now. Yeah. For those of you who think that you're, it's too late. Hey, it's not too late, right. To, to live out that entrepreneurial dream um, and aligning with, you know, the next 10 years of your life, where are you going? What are you doing? And, and what does that look like for you? So I think that's just incredible wisdom. What are some of those questions um, that our audience should maybe ask that are maybe not normal questions when they're going to buy a franchise? Yeah. So one of the things is I've had, you know, met a lot of people in franchises now, had some friends go into franchises. The one, one of the things I loved about clean eats is the owner, Don and Yvonne, they were all about the franchisees, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't about, hey, how are we making money? Right. It was like, how can I get my franchisees to make money? Because if they're successful, in turn, I will be successful. 100%. So I have learned this in spades uh, across uh, the franchises I've evaluated. Is There are a lot of franchises out there that start up with people who are just like me. They're problem solvers. They decide they want to go franchise it but they're not thinking bigger picture, right? They're not figuring out how to help their franchise grow and the sacrifices they have to make in order to do that. They're thinking about what are the franchisees sacrificing so that I can benefit, right? And that's a big piece. And how long has Clean Eats been around? Clean Eats has been around for about seven years since they started franchising. They've been around, they operated their own thing for for several years before that, but it's been franchised about seven years ago. Well, it's, it's funny we're talking about this because I got a text message yesterday and the text message said, hey, do you guys have any interest in maybe investing or raising money for uh, a private business that is, you know, looking to set up a convertible note? And I said, okay, tell me more. You know, what is it? They're like, oh, it's a, you know, 
pretzel um, company and they're just killing it. It's like, okay, get in line. The number of times I've heard that, <laughs> for you sure. know, for every, sure. everybody's killing it. Everybody's right? like, killing if it. If you're killing it, then why can't you go get an SBA loan for like 6% and why are you offering me like a 10, 12%, you know, uh, uh, interest on this convertible note? That doesn't make any sense <laughs> to me. No. But generally things that I see is, is that's what happens is people have like a modest amount of success uh, and it's because they have a team or a unit that has a ton of like esoteric knowledge that they control. And so then they think that like, oh, look at we did it. So now it's duplicatable and now everybody can go do it. And they haven't taken the time to build processes, systems, dial in all the back office stuff and basically make it like plug and play. So then the next person that comes in has to have that esoteric knowledge in order to get up to speed. Problem is they don't ask questions like you asked, like, hey, what is my operating cost going to actually be? I'm actually going to carry the overhead until I get to profitability. And so six months in, seven months in, they're severely upside down and then they can never get their head back above water. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And even some clean eats franchisees I've met and other franchisees, the, to your point, taking that evaluation of, of your skill set, right? And what you're good at and what you're not. And then what does that specific franchise require? Yep. So same, like I'm not a sales guy, right? I'm an engineer generally introverted as, as a normal person. But for me, I knew this would work because it was a need people had, right? I wasn't going to go door to door and sell vacuum cleaners, right? Or (laughs) convince you to come to my restaurant versus the other 357 in Northern Colorado or more than that even, right? I knew that as people walked in the door, they had a need. So I didn't need to go out and sell a commodity. I knew I could meet you as you walked in and say, Hey, you're here for a reason. You've walked in because someone's told you to be here or yep. you've you've heard about it. And now I can tell you what we do. That's an easy sell to me yep. versus if I, I, I know looking at franchises, if I had to go knock on doors, like I looked at a painting companies and auto companies and those types of things, I was like, I'm one of 10. Yeah. That means I need, if I were a salesperson, that'd probably be a cool business. But I knew for me, it was not the right place to be. So again, found the opportunity in the market. And found a business that aligned with everything else that we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I would say for those people that are looking at franchises, go meet the owners. Meet the principals, whatever, depending on how big it is, and find out what they're about. Because yeah. when I met the owners of Clean Eats, I realized, they, again, like I said, they were focused on helping the franchisees. They're really focused on the customers as one of the things I left corporate America about because corporate America tends to lose connectivity yeah. to their customers, right. right? It's all about profitability. Balance sheet, balance sheet, balance uh, sheet. Absolutely, right? Shareholder, shareholder, shareholder. Yeah, move this number to this column. Look what that does. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's easy to do in corporate America. But I I realized after 30 years, it's all about the customer, right? It's right. kind of why I like the agricultural industry. It's like, you go out and you meet with the farmers and they're just grassroots people working hard every day. And I love that piece 100%. of it, right? And so that was when I looked at franchises and I started talking to them, I wanted to find ones that had the same core values that I did, things that, that had the same passions that I did. So then I knew, because again, Clean Eats is still a startup. I mean, we're at 88 stores across the country right now, so it's growing quite a bit in that period. And, and from a meal prep company, that's really, really big. That's and so, but the cool thing is, is I may not, and again, I'm probably, as an owner, maybe a little more comfortable with the operations and the processes, right, than maybe the average person out there, because I spent 30 years doing it. Probably, arguably, better than some of the people at corporate Clean Eats. Yeah. But the cool thing is, is, even if things aren't perfect, I'm cool with it because I was like, I got that. I know behind the scenes that the owners care. Yes. They care about the same things I do. So even if we're at odds with something because we don't agree, that's cool. I know we're coming from the same place and I'm aligned. And I was like, hey, right. we'll let it roll. We'll fix it. We'll figure it out, right? Because being an entrepreneur is figuring it out every day, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I think if you can find a franchise that you sync up with from that core value perspective or passion perspective, then it makes it a lot easier to get through the tough days. 100%. Um, I think sometimes people go shopping for franchises based off of what they can afford. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what's the startup cost for like a clean eats. Like what's the franchise fee? What's that structure yeah. look like? What's a build out look like? Sure. Sure. Yeah. We can go into that. So, man, I, and I may be data cause you know, those FDDs update yeah, yeah. every single year, but um, I think the, I think the franchise fee is still around 50,000 to get yeah. into it. Pretty standard. Um, I think, which is pretty standard. Yeah. When, when I looked across things, um, 
last couple of years with all the supply chain nightmare build out and all those types of costs. Uh, I think the the FDD last time I looked at it was like between three fifty and five hundred thousand for for build out. Um, that got you. That's everything sort of soup to soup to nuts. Again, just for uh, comparison, one of my business partners, him and his wife own Cycle Bars. Yeah. And you know those things, their startup costs are closer to like five hundred or six hundred to yeah. do the full build out because just the equipment cost alone is crazy expensive. Franchise fee, I think, is sixty. Yep. So that's very in line. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we're we're still in in that range. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'm getting ready to try to get another one open here shortly. Let's which go. I'm sure we'll get into it. But but the point being is. When I looked across different franchises, it was reasonable, right? I was comfortable with that startup cost, right? Because I have seen some others where I was like, okay, you get to $750 million, it's like, okay, that's a lot of money to be levered out there, right? And so I also, as I looked at it, I want to be able to sleep at night. It's like, okay, that's a number (laughs) I'm comfortable with, right? And going back to your previous point, for me, is I evaluated the business. And again, you got to remember, I'm doing this as I'm going into COVID, Right. Literally, co- I signed my franchise agreement. COVID started literally 30 days later. Yep. So right. as I was looking at my pro forma, I did my pro forma down to, okay, where can I operate this thing, break even? Where do I target? And what's sort of my stretch yep. goal, right? And and I have learned not everybody does that, right? Because I was sitting there going, okay, COVID, never seen that before. Never was in my business plan as <laughs> yeah. I was looking at them before. So I wanted to understand, it's like, how bad can it get? And I'm at least can break even, right? Pay oh, yeah. all the bills and kind of go from there. So I think that's something I, I would tell people to think, don't just look at what the FDD says and, and kind of what the average in the AUV is for the franchise. Yeah. L- look at it plus or minus, right? Because it, it's a wide range and, and you got to kind of understand where it is too. 100%. Grossly overestimate what we can do in a year. Oh. And if you only plan for the optimistic outcome, then inevitably when you get kicked in the teeth, because it's going to happen, yep. you know, if food doesn't show up, orders are bad, food goes wrong, something breaks, blah, 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 you name it, you're just not going to be prepared for it. But I love the, uh, I call it the oh shit number. <laughs> What's the, yeah, oh for shit, sure. we're just got to be able to f- break even for the next six, seven months. Can I, can I do that? Even operate at a slight negative. If I'm prepared for that, then I know what my, my backup plan is going to be. But if I'm just shooting for the stars and planning like, you know, nothing's ever going to go wrong. I'm being very naive. So if you're listening to this, whether you're starting a business or you're, you know, thinking about becoming a franchisee, uh, be prepared for the worst, hope for the best is kind of the strategy that I would yeah. impart on you. Oh, a- absolutely. Cause, and I can tell you, you know, people within our system and other systems, right. You're exactly right. They're just like, man, I, I thought I would just go in and it would just be awesome. And I'd be at the average store and everything was cool. And I'm just like, why would you think that? Every single place is different, right? Whether it's location, owner, operations, customers, you know. Existing clean, relationships. E- everything. Even Clean Eats is unique, right? Because, again, it's based out of North Carolina, mm. right? The most density of the system is in, I'll call it the southeast yeah. o- overall. And people eat different in the southeast than they do in Colorado, right? We're a pretty healthy community here, right? right? And so the same meals that we sell on our weekly meal plan the num- that are number one in the system are usually two or three for us in Colorado because the folks here have a different dietary nutrition <laughs> objective 100%. than what others. So I was, in, I was in Charleston for the week, so <laughs> you better believe I was eating all the pecan pie and exactly. fried chicken and shrimp and grits. And, uh, and the very first thing I did when I got back is I actually went to Clean Eats. Got a healthy mood, <laughs> packed in my meals for the week. Saw you sitting there working. Same place you're always sitting every time I walk yeah, in. There. Absolutely. No, uh, I appreciate it for um, sure. Yeah, no, the food's incredible. One of the things about Clean Eats that I think is so unique is you guys have been able to get your uh, price per meal at such a fair price that it's actually it makes less sense to make your own meals. Honestly, for myself, because I know I can make a bunch of chicken and rice and, and maybe do it for four bucks a meal or something like that. Yeah, but I won't eat it. <laughs> right. But get going, tired of eating but it. yeah, but going out to like a Chipotle or something is going to cost me, you know, 13, 14 bucks. Right. Yeah. And I can get a meal for six, eight bucks, depending on if I get the extra protein or not in it and get enough food for the week and end up less than what my normal like store shopping meal prepping type of uh, shopping spree would look like. So yeah. I love it for me. It allows <laughs> me to stay healthy and stay consistent as a, as a busy entrepreneur who also owns a gym, who also does real estate. <laughs> right. Uh, who also does consulting. I I can't, I have to continually make sure that I'm keeping my food intake up. Otherwise I'd be one of those 
you know, people that says they own a gym, but doesn't look like they own a gym. <laughs> yeah. And so I can't let that happen. And so for me, it's been a total game changer. So no, that that's great. It's one of the things that, again, I take it back to the same thing. Find, find something you have passion about and make sure that it makes sense right. to, to the business. Right. One of the things, like I said, when I met the owners and we were on the same page, they were super passionate about, right. As an owner, I would love to take my prices up 50%. Right? Sure. But when I met them, it was really important to them that healthy food was available to people independent of their discretionary income. 100%. Right, right. We we need to be on the same price point as fast food. So that way, if someone has, you know, they got nine dollars in their pocket or eight bucks in their pocket, they get to make a choice versus, hey, yeah, I can't go to a you know a Whole Foods or you know those places where that charge a premium for organic and all those types of things, right? Yep. We can keep a price point where, you know what, you can come here, you can eat affordable and stay healthy at the same time. It's incredible. So obviously you have a ton of experience and a, a crazy resume and an MBA <laughs> and a few journeys and trips into entrepreneurship. Um, but this time it was different, right? You completely jumped ship, you jumped all in and You've been running this business for how long now? It's like you just had your one-year anniversary. Yeah, we we just 14 months now we've been since we opened the doors. So on that journey, what has been the hardest thing, the most painful roadblocks, bumps, and bruises that you've been through in the first 12 months? Yeah, I, I think for me, it, it's been a couple different pieces. And again, some of it is not so much, I think, uh, the business itself is just the world we live in today, right? So staffing has been a nightmare. Um, COVID changed everything. I mean, for me, I know a lot of people's like, well, staffing, what do you, you know, your minimum wage, hourly jobs, what do you expect? Well, I've been running factories for 30 years. Like I get hourly minimum wage jobs, but COVID changed the world. People don't want to work anymore. And they sure in the heck don't want to work for minimum wage anymore. Right? Yeah. For minimum wage. I think that's, I think the biggest challenge we're up against is the power of remote work, right? I, Absolutely. I can get on LinkedIn and I can look at, you know, mid-level marketing, careers or mid-level jobs and I can pull up 6,000 results. A hundred percent. Well, and, and almost I'll say new world expectations, right? <laughs> uh, which is crazy. Right. Like I blame Amazon, like the Amazon commercials, right? Where they say, you know, I want to work remote. I want my school paid for. I want childcare, right? If you've ever seen that Amazon yeah. commercial and that's the way I've seen my employees coming in. They're just like, well, yeah, I, this is cool. I'd like to work here, but I'm only available from four to eight at night on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I don't want to work any weekends. And yeah. I'm just like, oh, that's cool, but I don't have that job. Yeah, neither does Amazon because it'll just lay it off to eighteen thousand people. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, but I think I think it's to your point. It, the expectation changed. Yeah, and. Um, it's starting to come back in line a little bit, um, yeah. but but it changed everything. And so it's made staffing super, super challenging. Um, with that said, I think you can work through it, and, and I've been able to work through it so far. Yeah. But that turnover, I, that stickiness is is much harder than it used to be, for sure. I'll say it's for any business, too, though. You know, like in, in every business that I've been a part of or started, finding people, finding the right staff, finding the – people that align with the core values that bought into the mission and are willing to put in the work and go alongside you in this journey. Cause if they're smart, they're seeing like, Hey, this isn't just about this one gig. It's the potential. He's going to go up in four or five, 10 of these locations. And I can grow up and be the manager of these things. Right. Because Mike's not trying to be the, the GM and the daily operator. He's looking for a good GM. So that's an opportunity for me. So, um, you know, I guess one of the things I would impart on you, cause I spent a long, long part of my career was hiring 150 people a year and, um, and doing it at scale and uh, doing a good job of really showcasing to the talent before they even send in the application on what's behind the curtain. Like, what does it look like? What are the core values? Who are the people that I'm going to work with? Because 90% of that research is done. So there's a good chance that the only people that are applying are the people who aren't spending the time to actually do the research. Right. And then, you know, for lack of a better term, you get the bottom of the barrel of those people For and, sure, and they're, they're not long-term minded or long-term focused. So yeah. And it's, that is exactly what sort of, I'll say we shifted last, this last summer, right. Great. was to do that. So that way the people that are applying are serious, right. And, or if they're not, you screen them out. Instantly. They're, they're, they're out the door. So, cause your yeah, employees are your biggest assets. Uh, huge. Yeah. It's yeah. all about the place. Well, for me, and again, not only did I want to help 
the community in Northern Colorado, one of, like I said, one of the things I learned is I like to help people. So I was excited about having my own business because I can bring in a 20 year old kid, right, right. Who has no experience, you know, generally out of high school, hopped five, six jobs. Right. And I, to your point and give them a vision is here's a path. Here's a path to probably something you can't even comprehend right now. Yes. Right. But I'm willing to invest in you, right. Experience education. I can do all these things through the power of business, yep. right, and grow you into something that you can't, couldn't even imagine. And so I love that, having those conversations with people. But I think the challenge has been just, to your point, is just finding the right people through that screening process to get to get there, right? Because like, people walk in and they don't have any idea what they can accomplish, which is really cool for me. But Yeah. Well, the staff that you do have right now is great, though. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they, we, I've learned, like I said, I've learned yeah. over the course of the year. And it's funny, to your point, like I've hired hundreds of people over the years, but like I said, it's just, it's just changed how it's it, went. I think it's a trust thing too. You know, I think that, um, you know, if you're doing a good job of showing people what it's like to work there before they ever even apply. Yeah. It instills a lot of trust in them. We don't trust anybody in our society right now. We don't trust no. the medical Very industry. True. We don't trust the government. We don't trust cryptocurrencies. We're anti-capitalism and employers and all those types of things. So, yeah. But that we're in a shift in society, socioeconomically, the new world order. Um, United States is changing drastically from being, you know, a globally integrated economy to moving some back to something more like pre-World War II. Yep. Which is a whole different conversation for <laughs> a different is. podcast. But through those times over the next call it uh, five, seven years, you know, it's, there's a reframing in people's mind of how they, the old world order and how they thought it works and how it actually works. And so yeah. I, th- I do think you're going to see a lot of these blue collar jobs, manufacturing people who love to work, come back. Um, we just got to get through a little bit of the shaky times first. Yeah, no, no, totally agree. I think another thing that I've really learned and has been a challenge for me is 30 years in corporate America, I had HR, I had accountants, right? I had literally lawyers, everybody, right? And so now it's like, well, that's me, right? You know, now I need to know all the employment laws. I don't just pick up the phone and say, hey, Sally in HR or Joe in HR, you know, what does this and how does this apply, you know, with all the, like even this year, right? I mean, there's so many new laws in Colorado that just started, right, with FAMLI and Minimum wage and 401k. Yeah. Now you have to have a mandatory uh, retirement, you know, program for your employees. And so I think is, you know, for people that are listening, right, you you realize that you're going to have to get into the details. You can hire some of it, but as a small business guy, you're not going to be able to pay thousands and thousands of dollars for all these consultants and help, right? You're going to have to dive into some of it, right? Like I'm never going, I mean, I hire an accountant. I'm not going to learn debit and credit. That's not what I do. Um, It's not valuable for me, but I'm in way more detail than, you know, than I probably have ever been in my life. And for me, that's a bit of a challenge, right? Because I want to, to your point, I'm sort of that mix of solving the problem to visionary. I want to grow this business and I want to get to two and three and four and so on and so forth. Yep. But then, you know, last night I'm sitting at home going, okay, now I've put this retirement thing in. Like, how's that going to impact the numbers, right? I mean, because you have to be tight to the numbers. Easy for me. I love numbers, but a lot of people... I'm blown away in the franchise world that I've met. They don't know their numbers and and it blows me away. I'm like, how can you run your business and not know what your labor is as a percent to the 10th of a percent? Not not in rounds of five, but to the 10th of a percent. How do you not know what your cost of goods are literally every single week, right? How do you not know what you projecting your sales are? And oh, by the way, what you're going to project your cost of goods, your labor, you know, whatever are the other big nuggets that are feeding into that equation. Yeah. If, if you're a newer spine entrepreneur and you're listening <laughs> to this, definitely need a good CPA that gets it. And you don't need a bean counter CPA. You need somebody who actually understands business. Those are vastly different things. Uh, vastly. They are, right? Because there's. Oh, super. I, I had a tax accountant recently switched and, uh, I was always calling him with like, hey, there's these new tax laws or these new ways that we can save on taxes. And I have these proactive strategies that I would come to him with. And uh, I got tired of always like, that's not my job. That's what I'm paying you to do. Right. Otherwise, why do I need you? I found a different tax accountant and that tax accountant calls me with, hey, here's these new changes to these laws that are going to impact you that you need to be aware of. Right. Here's some ways, some tax advantages that we can take care of. Hey, we need to get our 
fourth quarter planning done before the end of the year so you can make some moves tax-wise. So it doesn't cost you guys anything to interview CPAs. It doesn't cost you anything to interview good business attorneys. Those are all those two people you want to have in your back pocket. Probably the third one, if you're really not good with numbers, is a good bookkeeper. Yeah. And those those aren't actually that expensive. You can outsource all three of those things. You don't have to put on payroll. It's kind of like pay it as you use it kind of thing. Exactly. It's an easy way to control and optimize your business without uh, increasing your overhead costs too yeah. much. So hundred percent. Somebody did a triple stamp those. Like the best best thousand bucks I spend every month is on a bookkeeper. Yeah. To, and who also runs payroll. It's like it's, this is amazing to me. Yeah. I just got sure. eight hours of my life back. You no, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, another thing you said, and I don't know that it's been a challenge as much as advice I would give being 14 months into this thing. As you evaluate franchises, understand the model, mm. right? I've watched, again, people within my own franchise, but also other franchises. They do all this work, and then they want to go off, and they don't follow the franchise model. They decide to reinvent it, mm. right? And the next thing they know, they're out in left field, and they're scratching their head saying, wonder why this isn't delivering what I thought it was. I was like, well, why are you doing that? Because that's not the model. So for me, and I don't get me wrong, I am of a personal disposition. It's like, okay, I know better. And so my natural tendency is like, well, I'll just make it better. But I have been very rigid about following the model, doing exactly what corporate tells me, not only to protect the brand because it's super important in the franchise, but ultimately – the model works if you follow it, right? And 88 so, locations, the model works. The, the, the model works, right? And, and every once in a while, the owners, last week, um, Yvonne, one of the owners, called me. And, and I said, what's up? Why are you calling me? She said, I'm just checking in with you because I know you do what you're supposed to do. <laughs> and I just got off the phone with four people who aren't doing what they're supposed to do, right? And so the wisdom that – one piece of wisdom that I part of people, if you you know do the, do the work, make sure it's the right model, but then follow the model. Be, yeah. Because that's why you're joining a franchise is for the model. Otherwise, go start your own business. A hundred percent. And that's the rub, right? Is you it give is. up some of that entrepreneurial creativity and freedom when you buy a franchise. But the the general startup cost to get a business to like scalable is about a million. The general startup cost to get a franchise unit to scalable is about five hundred thousand. Yep. So you gotta make that decision and and the the payoff. Are you and, and again, like are you in the business of uh, creating a job for yourself or are you trying to build some sort of asset that has cash flow and income that you can, you know, have in perpetuity and not necessarily have to work and do multiple units and duplicate that over and over and over again. That's the end game, right? So a hundred percent. So what, it, what is the long game for you? You know, what's the 10 year vision? Obviously you said you're in your fit early fifties. Um, I'm sure you, you know, don't want to be operating necessarily store day to day forever, but it is fun. Like what else, what the heck else would we do? Yeah, no, I took about six months, you know, off after corporate America to evaluating these businesses. And I was just like, Ooh, I'm bored. I got to go do something. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so for me, um, I bought multiple units. I essentially bought the rights for clean eats in Northern Colorado. Cool. How many um, units is that? Which is, which was technically by MSA standards, it's three. So essentially, you know, Boulder, Larimer and Weld counties, um, probably can fit more because obviously the population density is exploding here um and and it's a a perfect demographic for this for this model you could have two or three in larimer county exactly and so you know that's you know when you that's the other piece you join a franchise right and they're you know i'll take ours they're in north carolina they don't know colorado right they they have some franchise broker or franchise company they've you know hired to go to go sell their franchise they don't know either right so that's a cool thing for me is, you know, the one, the store that I have open now was honestly designed for Weld County. It's technically in Larimer County by about a half a mile. But, yeah. but, but ultimately, once you know your market and where it fits, then, you know, go be successful. And if you're in the right franchise, the franchise will let you be successful and allow you to grow. So, yeah, I bought the Brights up here. To your point, it, it's multiple units. And you know what? I don't know, to be honest with you, exactly what the end game is. I don't have like, oh, I want five or I want, you know, a million dollars of net income. I, I don't, I didn't really set those goals. It wasn't what I was about. It was about finding the right balance with helping the community and, and being able to manage the business and, and just have fun. Yeah. To your point, I'm having a blast for the first time because I don't have all those pressures and bureaucracy and politics associated with corporate America anymore. 
you know, I had a friend come in for lunch that used to work with me in my last corporate job the other day. And he's like, you know, how's it going? I was like, you know, I decided to do this today and I didn't have to check with anybody. And it was like, it's a policy change. Right. And and I didn't ask. I just did it. It's within the laws, but I just did it. And so I'm having a a blast, right? Every, every day is not perfect. Right. To your point, there's hard days, but when you love what you're doing, you're in a business that's serving your purpose. It's easy to get up in the morning and go in and, and realize, Hey, today may be a grind, but overall, I'm going to go home, and, and, and I've had a lot of fun. And, and that's to me, I, versus just saying, you know, I'm wanting to get this many units and this amount of wealth or whatever drives people. I just want to have fun, and at some point when it not is not fun anymore or, you know, I get too old, yeah. <laughs> then I'm like, okay, well, we'll go do something else, right? I may even, to your point, do do this cleanies thing. It's been awesome, but maybe I jump into something else, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't have any... I'm not following any government standards that says I have to retire by 59 and a half or 63 <laughs> or whatever, Social Security, you know, any of that stuff. It's like, you know, go go have fun and, and enjoy life. Well, short term, I mean, you at least have, you know, three units yeah. right, that you're going to do. And um, second to that, if you ever do decide to jump out of clean eats, you can call me <laughs> as your first potential buyer. Right? Fair enough. Fair that enough. aligns real well with what I like to do. Absolutely. Um, what do you got to get done in the next three years to open those uh, two additional units? You know, for me, it's setting, to your exact point, setting staff in place to where the store that I currently have open can run day-to-day without me on top of it, right? I mean, obviously, I'll always be involved. The thing that I love about this model is it is an owner-led model, right? All the successful stores in the systems, the owners are there frequently. They're developing the relationships with their customers. The cool thing about this business is you can see it's a meal prep business. You can see your customers every week, right? So yep. when you walk in, it's like, hey man, hi Samson, how you doing, man? Yep. Well, you know, what's going on? I met your wife and, yep. and your kids this week, right? I mean, I love that piece of it. So I'll always want to be involved, but I've got to get enough leadership in place that the store will run so I can go focus on another one. So I'm working really, really hard to do that. I put a letter of intent on another space this week. Congrats. So I'm moving. <laughs> Believe go. me, yeah. um, I'm not uh, I'm not a patient guy. So it's like, let's some, go. Yeah, sometimes doing that and like taking that step forces the hand to say, okay, I have to really put my money where my mouth is and actually take some of these people on the team, put them in a position to actually run this so that it can operate without me on the day to day Yeah. so that I can go think about these higher level things. Like where do I find a new location and so on and so forth? Where's, yeah. where's this uh, potential location at? Longmont. Let's go. Longmont. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super excited, but you know, again, just wisdom to impart to you, to your listeners. Right. And, and I've touched a lot of people within clean eats that have multiple units. Right. And they've all told me, cause one of my hard parts is going to be letting go enough. <laughs> right. Cause I'm not a micromanager by any sense, but but I, you know, I'm there's on the numbers. I know and there's your, a lot of your risk. business, man. And Absolutely. And they have all coached me. It's like, Hey, first of all, no one's ever going to run your business day to day. Like you do, right. No one's going to have the passion and, and the wherewithal. And, and by the way, nobody's probably going to have the breadth of experience that you do at least at, you know, 60, 70, $80,000 a year. They're not, right. um, they've all kind of told me get, find someone that can run it at 95 or 90 or 85% to where he's like, you know what? It's cool. It'll be okay. Yeah. And, and then go focus, right? No one's ever going to get it or run it the way the way that you want it. And so that'll be the next hurdle. You asked me about challenges. That'll be my next hurdle, right? Is yeah. being able to to let go enough to to focus somewhere else. Unless, of course, you find a partner or somebody where you can maybe throw some equity their way and enhance the uh, the reason for them to operate at a hundred percent versus an eighty percent. Yeah, for me, that's and again. I'm learning, so don't take this as gospel. But that's in the GM that I've hired, Ryan. Super good guy. Lots of experience in in franchises and 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 businesses in in this space and fast casual type of things. Yep. Same thing. Set him up. Revenue incentive, profit incentive, and and moving you know t- sort of toward that ownership piece. I would love that, man. It'd be help for me helping people, like I said, yeah. achieve things that they may not be able to achieve on their own. Man, I love that because I think the same way. You know, it's it's one thing to build your own wealth, but it's another thing to help build the wealth of the people that helped you build the legacy and the platform. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Nothing's cooler than that. It's uh, I call it the empty castle, right? Like, oh, look at my kingdom, and I built it, and I'm the only one at my table. Like, no thanks. Yeah, no, 
what's the purpose? Not fun What'd you me. accomplish? It's like uh-huh. a cool, cool building. Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> well, so there's an entrepreneur who's listening to this or aspiring entrepreneur who's listening to this and they are looking for some encouragement, some wisdom, maybe a little kick in the butt to take the entrepreneurial leap. What advice or wisdom would you give them? You know, for me, um, I guess I'll, I'll pass on advice that was given to me. And if I've done nothing, I've probably cemented it in my thought in the last 14 or 18 months as I've done this thing. Betting on yourself, right? If you're comfortable with what you know and your experience, right, there is no better gamble than on yourself, right? With To your point earlier, you got to be realistic about what your skill sets are and what you're good at and what you're not. Right. But, um, yeah, you know, betting on myself, honestly, after 30 years of corporate America, Super blessed. I mean, I had an amazing career. I got to travel the world and see the world and other people's money. I loved every piece of it. Honestly, I wish I would have done this 20 years ago or 30 years ago. One, when I when I was younger and had longer runway. <laughs> um, because to your point, I would love to have – I can see myself doing so many more businesses now, Yeah. Um, which I'll probably go do anyway because, you know, I got, I got enough runway. Yeah. But um, – you know, for those people out there listening, right, there is no better bet on yourself, right? If you're going to go hump it every day and you're going to go bust it, bust it for yourself. Don't, you know, if that's what you want to do. Like I said, corporate America, you can be super successful and, yep. and have an amazing career. But, uh, man, if you can find something you have passion about and, and put your time and effort into that, it's awesome. It's definitely more fulfilling. Oh, with the highs absolutely. and lows. Um it's funny, uh, we had a post go viral. One of the guests said, you know, if you're, if you're in your you're 35 and, uh, you're just getting started, like awesome. Cause when I was 35, I, I thought I knew who I was, but I was just figuring it out. You know what I mean? And people will respond to that negatively, right? Like, oh, well I could lose everything or how do I get started? Or it's too late, you know? And it's like, dude, if average retirement age is 65 and you're like 30, 35, you got 30 years. It's a long time. That's a long time. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So don't be talking crazy. If you're listening to this podcast, man, you better be getting hyped up and and literally start betting on yourself. I'm interested though. You said something. Mm-hmm. Other businesses you could go run. <laughs> what what if you weren't doing clean eats, you could go do something else? What oh you, yeah. What what would you go do? You know, again for me and, and this is just kind of who I am, <laughs> I see businesses out there and yeah. I I watch them operate and I and again it's almost a curse at this point, but I look at them and like, that's so messed up. I could go <laughs> fix that tomorrow, yes. right? Because to me, it's a puzzle. Yes, I just need to move the Rubik's Cube pieces around. It's like, mm, cool, and fix it. So one of the things that I just have passion about is just looking at businesses and saying, hey, I can fix this. And not even for me. Like, right, if I looked at a business you had in a center and you're like wrestling with it and struggling with it, I'm like, hey, do this. Let's do this. Think about this. And hey, cool. Now it's yours. I've solved the problem, which has satisfied my weird need to fix things, <laughs> right? And you're often doing your thing. So yeah, there, there's a lot of other cool models out there. There's a lot of opportunity, like I said, for my passion to help the community, to help people do things. Uh, just put this little nugget in your back pocket. But as you continue to kill it as a clean eats operator, you could potentially just go consult these other franchises and help them figure out why their system's broken. Because... Uh, they probably need somebody who has 30 years of acumen to come in and step in and help them do that. So there is definitely some, some opportunity out there for sure. And you know, it's awesome because for me coming into clean eats, it's a bit of a family and that's one of the things I liked about it. Right. And so I've tried to help some new people coming into clean eats, new, new people that sign franchise agreements and do exactly kind of what we're doing in this podcast. Like, Hey, this is what I've learned. This is what I know look at these things and let me help you get started, right? People imparted so much wisdom on me and have coached me and mentored me over the years. Let me just give that back, right? Because I wouldn't have accomplished half of what I did if it wasn't for the people that invested in me. 100%. Well, if people want to keep up with you, your story, are there any places you hang out on social media? You're on, are you on LinkedIn or Instagram or <laughs> Twitter or... Man, I'm saying it's an old guy, dude. I don't do social media. So yeah, I, I do. I, I've got a, I've got a LinkedIn LinkedIn account, um, which I probably haven't even been on in two years since I left <laughs> corporate America because uh, it just didn't serve me anymore. But uh, you know, I've got a, I've got an Instagram account, which I don't do much anyway. 
Clean, Clean Eats, uh, Johnstown uh, has an Instagram and Facebook account. Cool. You, can, you can definitely follow us on there and kind of see what's going on. And I promise as, as we continue to grow and invest in community, I, I will definitely update that and keep that up. But <laughs> I'm, I'm personally not a social media kind of guy, man. I'm sorry. I, everybody tells me I need to be, especially as, a, as an entrepreneur, but it's just hard for me. Yeah, it's also, you know, you get to do what you want. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Awesome. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. Dude, I appreciate you immensely. Uh, It was incredible to hear your story and your wisdom. Thanks for being a good ambassador in our community, for making great and awesome healthy food that I get to eat every (laughs) single week. And uh, I appreciate it. Looking forward to having you on again. Yeah, thanks. I I really, a lot of fun, man. Thank you. Yeah.